the boys are back indeed. I am Patrick Stoll, at Stoll underscore P on Twitter, alongside Tim Fontenot, at Tim underscore Fontenot on Twitter, and of course, at SBN Rossonero is how you can get in touch with us on Twitter. This is the AC Milan Offside, the Devil Wears Rossonero podcast. Uh, we're back. We're back. We are We are alive. Uh, just uh, a bunch of scheduling conflicts happened. Uh, I know we haven't done one of these in a while, but we are back. And the season might be over, but boy oh boy, with AC Milan, we never run out of things to talk about. Whether that is a sixth place finish and we're headed back to Europa League, or that is UEFA plans to nail AC Milan with financial fair play sanctions, which means we might not be going to the Europa League. Um, or whether it's uh, Elliot possibly taking over the ownership because Young Hong Lee might not actually have money, uh, to uh, Stephen Ross is uh, interested, uh, and he does have money. Um, and then there's, of course, all the players that came in that we're going to talk about our three players of the season. Um, and then, you know, there are some players who... Uh, might be better served elsewhere, <coughs> Kalinich. Uh, but that being said, here we are. We're back. Tim, what's up, my man? How are you? I'm good, Patrick. How about you? I am doing swell. Uh, and it makes it makes it better that, frankly, it's it's good that the season is over. I think we can agree that it, it's about time. Uh, I'm in the same boat as a uh, Selvio Berlusconi on uh, on Milan Twitter. Where it's like, thank God this season is over, because it, it was just getting a little a little painful. They went out on a high note against Fiorentina, which is really good, but holy moly, what an up and down season uh, from the from the transfers in Bonucci, Chalinoglu, Silva, Cassier, Rodriguez, uh, Kalinic, I guess, all those, and the hype was sky high. And then just a poor start under Montella because, of course, uh, and he manages to ruin clubs everywhere he goes, apparently, because then he went to Sevilla and got fired by them, too, um, which is hilarious. You go from adding all these players in the hype to Montella just blowing things up because I guess he just forgot how to manage to it just being in a very, very bad spot to Gattuso coming in and starting to turn things around and then you have the unbeaten streak and then we get knocked out of the Europa League and we come back down to earth and then we get smashed in the cup final firmly planting us back on planet earth and you know the top four race and then we fell out of that too but at least we're in Europa League but thank god we're in that and now there's UEFA so wow we this I am looking forward to 2019 just so that we can, I don't know, I mean, hopefully contend for a Champions League spot, but I mean, it, it also it also really ruined my day that Inter made it to the Champions League. Yeah, I was rooting really hard for Lazio in that match, and oh when, my God. Oh, when that third goal went in, it's just like the one thing that could have brought any joy to this season just completely gets pulled out of you, and but you knew it was going to happen. I mean, the way this season played out, this was the slowest, most painful death we could have possibly imagined. I mean, after all the hype in the summer when Yang Hong Lee comes in with that all that air quotes money. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. Um, I think once you, you saw the 200 million euros get spent, but then you hear all the stuff about how oh, well, there's all these loans and they're going to have to pay this money back. And you're like, ah, here we uh, go. That, that's staggering so, is what it is. Yes. Staggering. Yes. So that was a fun way to start the season. Then, uh, you know, we start watching those Europa League qualifiers where, yeah, it was a weird feeling playing in the qualifying rounds of the Europa League. That's that's not what Milan does. That's not what they're supposed to do. But you just there was this, like, there was this life that was that was coming back. I mean, 50,000 people at the San Siro for a third round qualifying match. There was so much optimism around this team. Then all that comes out and then the season starts and you're just like, ah, crap. 
Sheesh. Yeah, just <laughs> no. By like by the end of September, it's like the club was holding all of us over a cliff and just torturing us. And you just wanted them to let go and just let you fall and just get it over with. But they didn't, and they just kept going. And I think too late they fired Montella. I think it should like I know we had to. There's all the talk about giving him a chance with this new squad, but you bring in nine new players and you're you're a mess, and he clearly couldn't handle it. So then Gattuso comes in. Obviously, things started really poorly under Gattuso. I think a goalkeeper from Benevento scoring a stoppage time winner, a stoppage time equalizer against us, uh, really just defines uh, the season. But then you win the Coppa Italia derby. Things start to get better. You go 13 matches without losing, and I think it kind of clouded things for us because, yeah, they they didn't give up a lot of goals in that 13 match 13 match run. I think it was like four goals, something like that, maybe a few more, but they weren't scoring many goals either. So it was kind of just like they were getting by, but they were still getting us really excited because this was weird and unusual and amazing all at the same time. But then the Arsenal tie comes around in the Europa League and like you said kind of crash back down to earth and that's when it all started to come back again like yeah, they're in the Coppa Italia final but this this was an absolute mess that wasn't meant to be a top 4 season and again once that streak ended you're just kind of begging for it all to be over. And I completely agree with you that, um, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, but Montella should have been fired three weeks before he actually was. The yeah. only reason he got that month or three weeks or so was because, like, of the benefit of the doubt. Like, these are all new players. Um, the, the red flag for me was, didn't he go, like, 22 matches or something and he never started the same starting 11 and the same formation? Yeah. Like he yeah, never, it was unbelievable. I don't know how you run a team like that. Like this isn't FIFA, and I don't even do that in FIFA. Like no. I, you need consistency because otherwise, no one knows how to play together. Exactly. And then once once they had some of that consistency it, under Gattuso, shockingly, they they had that chemistry and they were able to put it together. But before that, I mean. Jesus, it was a nightmare. Like you see, and the, the the most troubling thing to me all season, and I, I'm beating a dead horse here, but I, I it baffles me how Kalinic got any time because <laughs> it it just it's shocking because you know okay he scored against Fiorentina and he scored against us in the Coppa Italia final because yeah. that was a known goal. <laughs> Right, so oh, I saw man. the joke saying like, "Oh, he's broken his scoreless streak." I think I tweeted from the site account going, "Kalinich scored, Kalinich scored." It was in the wrong net, but it still but counts. But he scored, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the saddest thing that was like, "What is this guy doing? What yeah. is going on? How is this guy on the pitch?" But more so than him being on the pitch, was Silva never staying? on yeah you know like we we've talked about this in prior podcasts that we don't see him every day montella does gattuso does so what was going on that he who we all we've all seen the talent we've all seen it we see it with portugal all the time we saw it in the europa league but he doesn't strike me as a europa league player if you know what i mean Oh, absolutely. And especially it, after his time with Porto. Yeah, and that that was just the shock of the season that he flopped as hard as he did. I didn't have a lot of expectations for Kalinic, so but I was still disappointed, but that being said, I mean, you got to think that out of all of the signings, right, Benucci had a rough start. Uh Chalinoglu had a rough start. Conti got injured. Uh, Musacchio only started occasionally. Rodriguez was always in there. Bilia was on and off. You know, it, it seemed like all of them kind of started badly except for Kessie. 
and then you know things things <laughs> conveniently under Gattuso. You know, Chalinoglu played well. Silva got his goal. Uh, Kalinic played like himself. Kessie was good, like really good. Bilia got his act together. Musacchio still didn't play. Rodriguez was still on and off. And Conti was hurt the whole time. And Benucci showed us why we bought him. So it was it was really weird to see that almost all of them started really badly. And then towards the end of the season, they got a lot better. They And the unbeaten run kind of put that case in point. But they all actually played together. And you could see how it was supposed to work. You know, Chalinoglu settled into that left wing, uh, where at first it was like, what is he? Is he a midfielder? Is he a winger? Is he a number 10? Like, no one really knew what he was except for good at free kicks. And then as we went along, like everyone kind of improved and, you know, you obviously had some on off performances, but I'm, I'm glad that we saw what some of these guys can do, but I wish we had had a whole season of that. Going back, you said something about the lineups and that was really a big point for me, especially when you just started talking about Chalanoglu at the beginning of the season I think one of the biggest problems for this club at the start was the way Montella played that 3-5-2 where it seemed like he was doing that because Bonucci was the big signing of the summer and you wanted him to be comfortable and he had come from a place with Juventus and a position in the Italian national team where he was always alongside Barzali and Chiellini in that three-back system and he was supposed to be the anchor of that and everyone thought or Montella thought that he needed to do that to bring him in, to bring Musaccio in alongside Romagnoli. You can, he probably thought he could play Rodriguez higher up the pitch, Conti higher up the pitch, and just kind of work Chalinoglu and everyone else in where they fall. And it didn't work. And you could tell that three-back system was an absolute disaster for Milan. And he just kept with it. Uh, it was different players every time, like you said, and you just you never knew what to expect. And I think one of the most important things that Catuso brought was that consistency, especially on the big occasion. You know, he had his occasional rotation because you had Coppa Italia, you had the Europa League, but when it mattered, you knew exactly who was going to be in that 11. You knew exactly how they were going to line up and what they were going to do. Yep. You were going to have Rodriguez, Romagnoli, Benucci, Calabria, Bilia, Kessie, Bonaventura, Chalinoglu, Cutrone, Suso. Boom. Boom. There it four, is. 4-3-3. Three, yep. three. You knew exactly what was going to happen. You knew who was going to come in off the bench. You knew what everyone's job was going to be. And I think that was one of the most important things Gattuso brought was consistency. It just like it baffled me that Montella knew he had to get all these players acclimated. And he decided to use the match instead of training to try to figure out who would play well together. Yeah, like, what was going on during the summer? Like, what what was he doing while these players were arriving? Just, like, leaving them there? Like, I don't know what he was doing where he didn't figure out where these players are supposed to play. And uh, I, I have the list of arrivals in front of me. Benucci, Silva, Conti, Chonoglu, Rodriguez, Musacchio, Bilia, Kessie, Kalinic, uh, Donnarumma Sr., and... Barini. I would say, you know, Benucci, success, Silva, flop, Conti, I don't even know whether to say flop or undecided because he was injured, Chalinoglu, success, Ricardo Rodriguez, success, because at least now we have a consistent left back. Not going to say that he was great. You know, he, he had some bad games kind of like a c plus b minus is what i was saying yeah. with rodriguez yeah yeah agreed musakio flop never played bilia i you know i think he's maybe a solid b b minus because he you know at the beginning of the season like we said like almost everyone started bad but bilia at the end, he became like that regista that we wanted, right? right? Yeah. 
So I would say he's a success. The only problem for me is he's 31. He's going to be 32. And I know we only we didn't spend that much on him, but I I don't how long can we get out of him? Because I thought that he was essentially supposed to hold where Montalivo was while Locatelli gets ready. But I don't know what's I don't know what we're waiting for. I was gonna say like you may as well just like at, at some point you have to hand it over to Locatelli. I think we've known that for a couple of years and. You know, that's something I felt with Calabria over the summer, but that's something I'll get into later. There's also Kessie. He's a success. He showed flashes of really what he can do. Kajanich, flop. Donnarumma, flop. And I have no idea what to say about Fabio Barini because at first it literally appeared or genuinely appeared sometimes that he was our best player under Montella alongside like Romagnoli. But Romagnoli was hurt. So like, at times, it legitimately looked like Barini was one of the best players. But, you know, as the season went on, it was like, okay, this guy isn't shocking, right? This guy isn't good. Like, this guy is not, like, and none of us thought he was. That's just how bad our team was. It's like, oh, Fabio Barini. I mean, he had his splashes. Like, he was a good addition, like, on loan. And now that they're going to buy him, it's going to be... It's only like a couple million euros. I mean, he's a like a rotation guy. You know, he comes in late in the match. He's not a guy you want going 80, 90 minutes. But he, he had a couple moments, I thought, where in the Europa League, a couple Serie A matches where he showed that he can get in and create chances in the attacking third, scored a couple really nice goals. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, he's not, like, he's not an ideal Milan player. But just in terms of rotation, in terms of an extra pair of legs. I mean, he's not the worst option, I would say. No, I agree. And he's, he, like you said, he's a serviceable player. You can put him on the wing. Those moments where he was playing wing back uh, was pretty stressful because I was like, oh my God. That spun my head around. This is bad, man. But he <laughs> wasn't too bad uh, as a wing back uh, just because he has the speed to recover. Um, I, I actually, I remember writing an article basically saying like that he's been better than expected for obvious reasons. Right. You know, I'm glad that he, I'm glad we can use him. That being said, I, I, this is probably a good time, um, for our three players of the year. I have three and you have three. Obviously it's not like a Serie A team of the season, and we're going to talk about who we might want to see go and come in in a minute. But um, how about you start? Who are your three players of the season for Milan this year? All right. So this is in no particular order. Uh, first one is Jack Bonaventura. For me, I, he, it, wasn't hit, uh, it wasn't a brilliant season. But as we've been saying all along, this has been far from a brilliant season for Milan. He, I think, was kind of a spark in the midfield at times when they really needed to start going on a run, winning a few matches, and he was able to provide. He was the leading scorer, I believe, in uh, in the league for Milan. He was able to get in on some of those great counterattacks we saw in that four three three system. And uh, oh, I'm sorry, Cutrone uh, was the leading scorer. That was dumb of me. But yeah, Jack, I think, has just been kind of this. Never a star, but this reliable guy. Since he came to Milan, you've always felt like he could get things done for you. Not in the most flashy way. Not a guy who's going to do it all the time. But when you need him, he steps up. And that's why I thought, you know, in this season, he was kind of one of the most reliable players. Alessio Romagnoli, we saw more of what we expected from him this year when he came over. First season was kind of disappointing from him. I think we all wanted to see a lot more, but he provided a lot for us in the back, especially once they figured out that a three-back system was not the way to go. Um, you can say Benucci definitely helped matters as he started to improve after a dreadful start, but Romagnoli I could see as long as a bigger club doesn't come and pick him off as long as the return to Roma is not in the card, something like that. I could see him being a big part of this back line for a long time. And I think that he really stuck out to me this year. 
This guy, I, he was the first name I wrote down, David Calabria. I loved what Calabria did this season. Uh, I remember writing about it at the beginning of the year because Conti had gone down, and then Abate got hurt. And up stepped Calabria, a guy who's been around for a long time now, really, still a really young player, but a guy like Locatelli we've been waiting to come through. And when both those guys went down, it was Calabria's time. There was no one else. It was his position at right back. And he stepped up. I think at a lot of times throughout this season, Calabria was the best player on that back line. I think about those matches against Lazio, Coppa Italia, and Serie A. He, you know, he's such a, he was solid at the back and provided so much going forward. And for a young player who had been in and out of the squad, never really knowing what was going on, whether it was under Mahalovic, whether it was under Montella, I think Gattuso really, well, he didn't really have a choice, but he really gave him that confidence. And Calabria really stepped up this season. I, this was obviously his best season, obviously his most important season. And I think we're going to need a lot of that from him going forward because, yes, you have Conti, but... I think until someone knocks him out, Calabria is in that back line to stay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think Calabria has shown what he can do. And I think he was one of the revelations of the season. Uh, Obviously, we had a couple. My team of the season, or excuse me, my three, my big three, my players of the season. uh, I also have Romagnoli. Uh, He, whenever he was in there, he was good. He was locked down. Uh, He and Bonucci actually formed one of the best defensive pairs in the league. It just happened too late. You know, they start... Milan started being good way too late in the season and then stopped being good. When they were on their game, you couldn't score against them. If Bonucci, Romagnoli, and Donnarumma we're all having good games. I mean, give it up. You can't you can't get past them. He is one of the best young defenders in Italy. Uh, I remember everyone would mention him and Rugani at once. Um, I think he has asserted himself at the top of that young defender list. Uh, you can say Rugani, you can say Caldara, and it pains me that both of them are for Juve, but Romagnoli has been one of the guys this season, and he has turned into exactly what they wanted him to become when they bought him for Roma. Uh, And that's why I actually have his jersey, because I, when I was getting a jersey, I said, I want one of somebody who should be here a long time. And that was when they bought Romagnoli, and I'm like, all right, this this is where I'm going. Uh, has turned out so far, knock on wood, to be a good decision. Uh, so that is the reason he makes it into my team of the season, or my big three, is he has just been excellent all season as long as he was healthy. As soon as he got healthy, the back line shored up so well. My second, I understand about Bonaventura, but I, I couldn't put him in to my three. Uh, the reason for that being that he was poor under Vincenzo Montella. And I know a lot of the players were, but he was invisible under him. Uh, And then he got a lot better under Gattuso, as a lot of them did, but then he dropped off again. He has been a rock for Milan. He has been very solid. Not, I don't want him to leave. I don't want it to be twisted that uh, I don't want him there. But he he is he did not have the season that he did last season where he was just the hero, right? We have a different hero this season. I'll get to him in a minute. My number two is Frank Kessie. Uh, he's only 20 years old, and Frank the Tank played like Frank the Tank for a good portion of the season. I know a couple people who are not the biggest fans of Kessie due to, I mean, he's not the most technically skilled player on the roster. He's just not. He, uh, He's not the best passer. He's not the best dribbler. He's not the best shooter. But what he brings to the team is 
an absolute engine. He's a tank. He's a brick wall. And he is a destroyer. He is the light version of Angolo Kante. And I know that that's a huge jump, but he is a very light version of Angolo Kante. I like that. He is what Chelsea wanted Bakayoko to be closer to be. I am a big fan of Frank Kessie. I think he is here to stay. I think he was a great addition. And he is one of the major successes of that transfer window. Um, In fact, I would put him probably at two, if not one, uh, depending on who you would say is one. It's either him or Benucci at one. Uh, But I'm going to put him in my three. And then my my third is Patrick Cutrone. Uh, It's hard to ignore him. Kid's been an absolute stud this season, an absolute revelation, leading Milan in goals. And just, frankly, he came out of nowhere. We didn't expect, we expected him to be in the roster, but not, we didn't expect him to do what he accomplished this season. If you had told me that Patrick Cutrone would be not only our leading scorer, or not only our starter, but our leading scorer, I probably wouldn't have believed you. Uh, He scored 18 goals in all competitions this season with six assists, which is absolutely unreal for a kid who is 20 years old and obviously loves Milan, you know, clutching the badge. He's had so many priceless moments this season. I can't wait. He is one of the best young forwards in Europe. And he is going to continue that way, and I hope that he continues that way in a Milan kit for as long as possible because I think we all know what we have in Patrick Cutrone, and I can't wait to get his jersey when he inevitably changes his number from 63. <laughs> so he is my three. So that's Cutrone, Kessie, and uh, Romagnoli. My runner-up, uh, if we were doing runner-ups, it was a toss-up. Um, but my runner-up is Suso because of how Same he, for me. yeah, of how he absolutely backpacked this team under Vincenzo Montella. Uh, surprised he didn't have to sit out with a back injury from carrying the entire team for like three months. <laughs> my second runner-up, like you know, my close second to that would have been Benucci, um, just because of his defensive prowess next to Romagnoli. So those are my players of the season. Um, and of course, if you uh, have any debate, anyone who you think should have been left in, go ahead and tweet at us uh, at SBN Rossonero, at Stoll underscore P, and at Tim underscore Fontenot. Uh, we will get those uh, players of the season up on Twitter um, and we can try and embrace debate on that. So now that we have uh, explained our players of the season, um, we were thinking of doing kind of a non-players of the season, but we also realized that would have been, one, pretty mean-spirited, which we don't shy away from too much on this podcast, but... Our winner for that is Kalinich. It's Kalinich, and yeah. There, there's no debate about that. Yeah, and that's why we scrapped that idea, because we both said Kalinich, and we couldn't come up with any reason for it not to be Kalinich. <laughs> um, so, again, you know, we don't... Sh- we don't shy away from uh, mean-spirited things uh, on this podcast, but we we did shy away from that just because it, it would have been like, oh, who is it? Kalanich. Oh, me too. Silence. <laughs> like, <laughs> bad radio. All right, great. Moving on. Um, but, you know, some other flops that I think are, are just notable. Silva, obviously, for the, the mysterious lack of playing. Um, I'm surprised there hasn't been like conspiracy theories about it. Uh, and he was in the group stage Europa League play, uh, team of the year. So that was, you know, that that's definitely a flop. They might end up selling him on, but they're talking about adding a top center forward. So I don't, I don't know how that works. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, we'll we'll get to potential additions in a minute. 
correct me if I'm wrong, we don't need a top center forward. We have a pretty good one. It's Cutrone. And we have someone pretty good behind him, and that's Silva. If we sell Silva to bring in someone else, I don't want that person replacing Cutrone. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't know who we're looking at adding. Um, well, I, I have an idea, but we'll we'll get to that in a second. So Silva was a flop. Um, Montalivo was very quiet, but I mean, he was basically demoted to third place. So I, I wouldn't say he's a flop. He just was kind of there. Um, Jose Maury, you can't say it was a flop because we didn't expect him to play anyway. Uh, Billy got a lot better. Uh, if you had asked me in the first half of the season, I would say Billy is a flop. Absolutely. You know, Zapata got benched by Benucci, and there's no shame in that. Musacchio never played. Uh, Gomez never played. Gabia never played. Conti was injured. I don't think we can hold that against him for a flop. Calabria was great. Um, Antonelli and Abate both got pushed out and weren't that great when they were in, but they weren't flops. So really, our two our two flops, our one and two, were both the same, and it was Kalinic and Silva. And Silva was only because of the high price. If they had paid 10 for Silva, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But if you pay 40 for the guy, um, and I genuinely hope he stays and improves, but I also am afraid that if he stays and doesn't play, like, there's no chance to sell him on. But... Speaking of selling on, potential departures, and then we'll get to some potential additions. I mean, I've heard things about Abate probably leaving. I've heard MLS mention. Yes. I don't know if I, I I want I would love to see him in MLS if he leaves. I just don't know like is he gonna leave? Is is this the is this the time? Um look Antonelli could leave tomorrow and the team wouldn't really be affected. Uh, Gabia needs to be loaned. Uh, the, the the kid's not doing anything with this team. Gomez can probably be sold. I thought that was done to Boca, Do but we, I haven't, haven't seen anything that about that happening? yet. I don't... I, I thought he was about... I thought I he was so close to Boca, and then, like, I, you know, bigger fish to fry, sure, but I, I don't know what's going on with him. Musakio, I want to stay, but I think they might sell him. Um... I think he is a very good rotation defender. Like, he's that um, 1A kind of thing, like super sub. Um, and we need a defender of his caliber in case someone gets hurt because Romagnoli has injury history and Benucci has been injured before. So, like, keep Musacchio. Zapata could also be sold, but I don't, I don't think he's going anywhere. We talked about Bilia. He's not going anywhere for at least a year. Bonaventura. I have heard that he now these are reports out of Italy. I don't remember which site, um, but I heard that he wants Milan to add some players, and his backup plan is leaving, and one of those potential places is Juve, which would hurt a lot. Um, obviously, they are having a couple departures and might also have an interesting summer. Um, so they could use him, obviously. He's a, he's a pretty darn good midfielder. Um, I don't want to see him go. That would really suck. Um, but I don't know how credible the source is. And again, I, I can't find um, who was the one that reported it, but I heard that there may or may not be an offer. Uh, and I'm not making this up. This is, I've, I've read this somewhere. I swear uh, that there might be a 30 offer for him or a little less, maybe 25. I mean, right now, if Milan's getting that kind of offer for him, it would suck to lose him to Juventus. But do you say no to that in this market though? The inflation that happened with Neymar, like if you had said last summer, right? I'll give you 30 for Bonaventura. Probably would have taken it because think of, I mean, Sala went for what, 45? 
and I would say Bonaventura is under Sala. Um, I would say 30 was about right then, but now, I mean, what does 30 million get you anymore? And if that gets you a Bonaventura, that would be surprising to me, but I don't know. Given their current financial reports, uh, which we will also get to in a second, you know, they might have to. Uh, but it also depends on what they're able to spend. Like, if they're able to replace him, then it might be okay. But if they're just going to straight up lose him, I mean, Jesus, they have no depth anyway. Like, who's going to fill his spot? There's no one to fill. There's nobody who can fill. I have the midfielders up right now. They literally have six midfielders on their roster. Bilia, Montalivo, Bonaventura, Maori, Locatelli, Kessie. Three of them play the same exact position. One of them is Kessie, who plays on the right, and the other is Bonaventura, who plays on the left, and then there's Maori, who, like, never saw the pitch. Like, we have six midfielders. How are you supposed to compete with six midfielders, three of whom play at the same position, and two of whom are just not good, by which I mean Maori and Montalivo? It's insanity. Like, I, I don't get it. I genuinely, out of everything we did last summer, we had to add a player like Kalinic, who was a striker who wasn't that great for Fiorentina, who should have, in theory, become the backup to Silva and the backup to Cutrone, which is essentially what he became, except for the Silva part, instead of adding another midfielder. Like a good, like a quality, I, I just don't. You know, the fact that we have six midfielders and then forwards, Barini's staying, Chalinoglu is staying, Cutrone's staying, uh, Silva, no idea, might have to be sold while his stock is still relatively, I think he would go for 30 million to like an EPL team. Kalinic is going to stay, sorry, uh, I think he's going to stay because it's an obligation to buy, not an option. And he, uh, I can't, I mean, they want to sell him is what I've read, but I can't imagine who's going to buy him. And then Suso might leave for Napoli. And I don't want to bury the lead here, but with Ancelotti being named Napoli manager, um, I've seen reports that Suso would be open to a move to Napoli to play for him and possibly replace, I guess, Mertens if he leaves or just to bolster the team. And that that would suck. That was uh that was something I was reading too and I think that's as soon as I started reading it I felt like a feeling of inevitability with it. Uh look, I mean Napoli are going to be really sore this summer after the way the Serie A title got away from them. Um they obviously want to overtake Juventus. Someone has to overtake Juventus. They're going to want to be really competitive in the Champions League. Suso gives you that depth up top. I mean, that attack is already really good. Then you throw Suso into that, and that just that makes too much sense for me, and I'm sure that he's going to feel hard done by the way the season got away from Milan. Um, you know that he's been hinting at wanting to leave at some point. He's talked about wanting to go back to Liverpool. Going to Napoli could be the first step there. Um, I mean... There's there's gonna be some big losses. I feel like this summer, uh, I just I don't know what's gonna come in, but Suso is one of the big names. I think that they're bracing to lose. I think another one. I want to know what you think about this. Is not super surprising, but Donnarumma, the the Donnarumma that plays. <sighs> yeah, the the worst part is that like this is the sense of inevitability for me is that, like, we're not going to have Donnarumma next year. Um, I, I just can't... Because what what were the reports? He wants out, like, he wants to leave, and now it's him, it's not it's not his agent. Um, it's, it's him this time, although I don't know. I think last summer there was kind of the, the promise made to, the, made to him that they were going to go for top four, and now being back in the Europa League and possibly not even being in the Europa League, 
Um, I mean, we can talk about what a horrid season he had at times, but he's still the Donnarumma that the world wants. Yeah. There's a reason that PSG... Well, okay, so originally, I heard it was PSG, and I heard that they want him, and that there was a possibility of Cavani coming to Milan for Donnarumma going the other way. My problem there is, who do we start at goalkeeper then? Like, we have a striker. He might be 20 years old, but we have a striker. In that case, do we send... Also, big question, does Antonio Donnarumma go with Gigi Donnarumma? Are they a package? That's a good point. Do we have to hang on to Antonio Donnarumma? You're looking at a situation where if they both leave, if those Pepe Reina reports are true and he's coming in, then your one-two is probably him and Alessandro Pizzari, who is kind of seen as like the next Donnarumma coming through who just spent the season in the second division. So he was at least given some experience, but that's not what you want. So here's my thing about Plitzari, and then I'll, I'll throw out a couple other transfer rumors uh, before we get into the financial thing, which I don't even think we can dig too much into just based on what we know and what still has to happen. But anyway, so... Um, in another website that I write for Italian Football Daily, uh, one of the guys is a goalkeeping coach and a goalkeeping expert. And so he always talks about what Donnarumma needs to improve on. Like he needs to stop relying on his like launch point where he just tries to get to things with his length. Like he needs to work on his positioning and stuff. And one of the things he said, uh, because I and another person asked about Plitzari because he keeps track of this kind of stuff. And he said Plitzari dropped to second or third choice on his team. That's promising. Which is not great. Um, suboptimal. And what he said was he wants to see Plitzari go to a Serie C team next season to get regular playing time. Wow. And that he would not be ready for a Serie A team. Um, now, I think Plitzari is like 18 or less. He's 18, So yeah. yeah, so I'm not too worried, but I would hope that we would not need him next year. Uh, I Again, I hope that is going to be here. I just don't think he is. He's, I mean, he's gone. I thought it was PSG, but it sounds like they're going to add Gigi Buffon. Which is why I kind of, I was interested the way you said that they were talking about Cavani coming the other way. Because apparently the talk with Buffon is that that's kind of a way to get around financial fair play where, you know, oh, they, shocking. they should be going for a bigger keeper, someone like a Thibaut Courtois, a Jan Oblak, someone like that. But they they would take the gamble with an older Buffon because of financial fair play. But if it's a player swap between Milan and PSG, then that probably serves sort of the same purpose. I just wouldn't want it to be Cavani. I mean, I think, like you said, there's already they already have forwards. And Give me Draxler over Cavani. Yeah, or I someone like him. we were just talking about the problems we have in the center of the midfield. And, I, I mean, yeah, like maybe Draxler. I mean, I don't know if they'd be open. I, I'd love to have Rabio. I know he's been linked to Milan oh, in the past. Oh, man. I mean, at 23, you know, he's going to be hungry. <laughs> he's mad that he didn't make the France roster too. Yeah. He is a very mad midfielder right now. And DDA Deschamps is mad that he's mad. So I think it's going to take a lot for him to get back into France's good graces, which is hilarious that like, I don't know who is advising Rabio to write a letter like that, but yeah. you know that like, that's it. As long as that guy is in charge, like Rabio's not making the roster. Right. Um, I've heard, I'm reading on our site right now. Uh, Jose Mourinho wants Benucci to reinforce. Oh, this is from Tuto Sport. Never mind. Mm. Disregard. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend, Carlos Baca is coming back. The Villarreal loan is over. He's coming back, and they apparently want $16 million for him. I uh, might have to lower that to 10 
and hope someone bites because Villarreal is not paying 16 for him. Right. Even though he did have a pretty decent season for them. Yeah, no, he did. But we also can't be like, oh, well, you have to pay 16. Like, bro, he's not that good. He's not. There's a reason that we sent him up over there. He's not that good and he's not that young. God, that's true. Um, I've heard a lot about Andrea Bellotti. Yeah. Again, I don't know why we're going after strikers. We don't need one. We need a third string striker who can actually play soccer. That's what we need. That That's what we thought Cutrone was going to be this season. And right now it's Cutrone 1 and for me Silva 2. And we need to get rid of Kainich. And I don't know who we add. I just don't. I don't know who is willing to sit and basically just play Europa League. I don't know who that is. Because if it's a big name, they're going to want to start. Cavani? Cavani is going to, like, that's a good way to either have a two-striker system or Cavani starting and now we're not doing Cutrone any favors. Uh, I've heard Jack Wilshire. I've heard Andre Gomes. I've heard Leon Bailey. And then we're starting, I've heard Memphis Depay a lot. If we're talking about a an, an extra striker who would kind of play behind everyone, um, Lapadula's loan at Genoa is almost up. I don't know if he... Is he alone? Yeah, he was on loan at Genoa. I don't know if he'd be receptive to that. I don't know if Genoa has some sort of deal to make that permanent. I would be kind of surprised, but like maybe he would want to play... Like Maybe he'd be open to that, but... I don't know, just it's just another idea. I mean, they're they're kind of in a in a bind this summer with what they're capable of doing. Oh, I'm sorry, it is an obligation to make the deal permanent with Labadula. See, I would rather have him. I would have rather us just hung on to him instead of Kalinich and then just move on. I didn't like the Lapadula sale in the first place. Uh and if you think Carlos Baca is going to step in and be that that guy I mean, that's just not true either. Like, there's a reason we loaned him out, because last season he was useless. He, two seasons ago, he was a hero. Last season, he was useless. This season, he was pretty decent. You know who I would want? I would want Mario Balotelli. Yes. But he is not coming either, because I think he's going to Napoli. Oh, that's upsetting. He's going to play with Carlo, yeah. I'm very much on the Balotelli to MLS bandwagon. I, when he when the rumors were there that he might go to DC United, like I live in DC, so if, but you want to get me to the stadium? Shoot, sign up Balotelli. I am in there. Brand Wayne stadium. Rooney is not doing it for you. Uh he's definitely an improvement, and he's definitely a big name. The problem is that I heard Mario Balotelli first. Yeah, and I was like, oh man. And then it's like, oh, actually, it's Wayne Rooney. I'm like, oh. <laughs> If they just started with Wayne Rooney, I would have been like, oh, shoot, man, that's cool. But instead, it was like, oh, this feels like a letdown now. It kind of sounds like, oh, Andre Selva, also Nikola Kalinic. Uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, oh, too soon. Um, so speaking of too soon, uh, here we go. Financial fair play. It's AC Milan in one corner and uh, UEFA and financial fair play. Uh, in the other, um, because remember, everything PSG does is okay. But if Milan take a loan, that's not okay. That might get us in trouble. Whereas, and, you know, let me know if you follow Manchester City and PSG. Nothing wrong. Nothing going on. Nothing to see here. But Milan, prepare yourselves, folks. Um, I want to find the exact report here because I don't want to get it wrong. Here we go. UEFA had already rejected a settlement uh, for potential violations of financial fair play in December. They tried again, and now Milan is going to face a hearing with the UEFA club financial control body in june to determine what penalties the club will face for a violation marco fassone is predictably uh, upset 
there's a quote you can read it on our website. I don't want to read the whole thing here, but he said it gave us surprise and a great deal of bitterness because, frankly, I expected UEFA to offer a settlement agreement. The thing is that there is a 380 million euro loan, including interest, to Elliot that is due in October. And I think the main concern is that they're not going to be able to meet that. The negative of this is, of course, if we get liquidated, we're not going to be in Syria anymore. Um, we're going to have to do the Parma thing where we go down to D and start anew. Uh, that is the doom and gloom scenario. Uh, I don't think Elliot, I don't think that's what Elliot is going after. Because it sounds like Elliot is, if Yong Hong Lee defaults on the loan, which would suck, don't go on Twitter that day if that happens. <laughs> uh, I'm not. Um, I won't be able to help myself. Oh my god, I, I just can't, man. But um, Just go buy a 12-pack and just let it, let it roll. I mean, that that's going to be one of those breaking news podcasts where we just kind of get on yep. and just yell and like panic um which would have you better believe that if this podcast had started when the donnarumma thing broke it, it would have just been hop on on youtube live it'd be like ah um <laughs> no um i'd have to break out my screen pillow and that's just something i'm not ready to do right now that's just not what i want um but october 2018 is when the loan is due if yong hong lee defaults on that we're going to belong to Elliot, which is a hedge fund. So then what they're going to do is they are going to sell the club to the highest bidder. They, What I have heard that they aren't going to do, it sounds like they're just going to sell the club instead of the doom and gloom scenario, which is strip it of all its assets and sell it piece by piece. Um, that's the doom and gloom scenario of we're hosed. Uh, being sold to the highest bidder is not necessarily bad. Um, whether that be Berlusconi, part two, ding, ding, ding. Can you imagine if he buys it back and it's just a completely new squad of players? It's like, oh, I planned this. The other option is Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, who could buy the club if it is put up for sale. I don't know how to feel about that because I know he's a big Super League guy. Um, and I know he's a big, I know he's one of the brains behind the ICC. I know he has a lot of money. Um, I heard another option is Goldman Sachs, like the bank, but I don't really know what that would mean. Um, there's a lot of just financial stuff going on that you can't really, that it, it's very like technical and legalese-ish. Um, so it's hard to really dissect UEFA in their statement said, after careful examination of all documentation explanations provided by the club, the investigatory, investigatory chamber, gee whiz, uh, considers that the circumstances of the case in regards to Elliot do not allow the conclusion of a settlement agreement. In particular, the chamber, I'm just going to skip that word is of the opinion that, among other factors, there remains uncertainties in relation to the refinancing of the loan and the notes to be paid back in October. Uh, the Chamber will make a decision on this case in due course, will further communicate in June its other decisions in relation to the monitoring of the clubs under investigation or under settlement agreement. And as it says on our website, potential penalties include transfer ban, fines, or ruled out of Europe. And I think ruled out of Europe would be a huge, one, huge blow financially. Two, a huge jump for a first-time offender. Also, what is the point of fining a club for violations of financial fair play? Yeah, that just doesn't make any Does sense. Doesn't that just yeah. hurt? Like, just like, makes things worse. Defeats the purpose, right? Yeah. So there's a lot going on. Um, we are going to hear more. Uh, Again, that is going to be in June. Of course, then shortly after that, we will have the World Cup. So at least then we'll have something to watch. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the whole fallout from Yang Hong Lee not having the money up front for this club 
is getting to the point of absurdity when Yong Hong Lee had yet to buy the club. When there was a sale, there wasn't a sale. There's going to be a sale in eight weeks. There's going to be a sale in 16 They're weeks. They're staggering bank bonds. Yeah, I mean, look, I really think that... I, I said this to someone earlier today. I mean, Yong Hong Lee could be end up being a blessing in disguise in that he brings down the cost for someone looking interested in buying the club i mean steven ross i don't think would be the worst situation uh, i think he's definitely got some interest in soccer albeit from the business point of view in the past he's the, like you said the brainchild of the icc um along with charlie stilatano yes of course um i think he's he's done a great job with that uh managing or owning a club is a whole different animal but you mentioned the Super League, and honestly, if the Super League, like I, I tweeted this earlier because someone responded to me. I was having this conversation because I think with Ross's net worth being somewhere between eight and twelve billion dollars, I think that's promising. We know he has the money, especially if it's at a cut rate. Uh, I don't think he'd be dumb enough to just buy it and then not leave it in good hands. So there's that. But someone said to me, he's making a move to create the Super League. He's a known advocate to kill clubs and keep only a select few super clubs. He's cancer to football. And my argument to that, and I'm very anti-Super League, but I also accept the that there is a possibility that that's the future for big-time club football. And so my response to that was if a super league is inevitable and a billionaire wants to buy the club that made me fall in love with football, a seven time European champion that's been irrelevant in Europe since 2012 and have an eye toward that end, sign me, I'll just say TF, up for that. Yeah, it's better to be in than out of that super league. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And Milan is a massive global brand. I just saw two days ago of all the sports teams on Twitter. It's the 10th most followed team on Twitter, which I that's obviously a different sort of metric. But you think about all the markets that Milan reaches. Steven Ross would be massive for it in the United States, where it's already a massive brand. Uh, China, Singapore, all of Asia, Australia, South America, just the history around the world with this club. They're too big, despite the recent failures, to not be in there. And I mean, if you have clubs like Liverpool now back in the Champions League final after where they were, uh, Arsenal is still a big club in spite of all the terrible things we may have said about Arsenal in the past. I regret nothing. I also regret nothing. But I also want to say a big uh, RIP to the managerial tenure of Arsene Wenger, who uh, I think uh, was who had a fantastic start at Arsenal, but it was a uh, time to go. It's a time to go. Uh, we could not uh, accomplish more given this roster. Uh, I have no financial backing from the club. I, re- I regret that that podcast, All in Vanger Voice, never happened. Oh, but, my God. Uh, anyway, given all the nonsense that's going on right now and all the nonsense that's been going on over the years, having someone financially stable and able to help bring this club back up i see more positives there than as we talked about the doom and gloom scenario and the financial fair play issues that just seems smart to me if someone's willing to save you let them yeah i think what's going to happen is we're probably going to be fined i don't think we're going to get banned from europe right off the bat um and we might get I think worst case scenario, obviously worst case is they overreact and they just everything, just all of it. Right. And that's just going to hurt so much. But I think what is realistic is they're probably going to be like, all right, transfer ban, fine. And, you know, you pay the fine, probably have to sell a player and hope that you can just keep your core together for the summer do the atletico madrid right you sell you try and keep everyone together and then now that cup tide isn't a thing anymore you can get someone in january to help bolster your squad um i think what's going to happen is they're going to get a fine 
maybe a transfer ban. Um, I think it's going to be all right. Um, and if he does default, which it sounds like he's going to, because quite honestly, and I know this is pretty cynical, there's no indication that this dude actually has his money. Other than the fact that we have the players we have, which is just part of the loan, there's no indication that this dude has pretty much any money except for the nice suits that he wears. I'm 100% convinced that he bought all those players with, to borrow a South Park term, theoretical dollars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He never had that money. I, I <laughs> At this point, because if he did, it would have been resolved by now. Yeah. So I have no, I have no confidence in Yong Hong Lee. My, the Yong Hong Lee ship has sailed. Let's just sell that right now. That ship has sailed. I am, I am past him. So I think the default is going to happen. And then what's going to happen is Elliot is going to say, all right, the auction starts now. And either Berlusconi is going to buy it or which honestly wouldn't be the worst hands. Uh, He didn't spend a lot, but the club was safe with him. Um, They were cheap, but they were safe. And, I think if the club was in safe hands like that, then you can probably get Maldini and Kaká in as sporting directors and go from there. That is something that I think needs to happen. I just had so many emotions come boiling to the surface right there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what we need. We need to get Maldini involved and I've heard that they want Kaká involved. Yeah. But he would be safe, maybe not optimal as in scudetto challenging but that's okay um if we're alive right the other option is apparently ross who he i think would also be safe because i mean he's gonna make money forever because he owns the dolphins he's making nothing but money He's one of the ACC guys. He's making nothing but cash. He has, we know he has that money because he'll just make it in a year with the Dolphins. So that's not bad either. I just don't know. I would need to, you know, I wish someone would say like, all right, so what are you going to do? Like, if you want to buy them, what do you want from that? What, What do you gain out of Milan besides maybe some money except soccer teams don't really make money do you are you totally invested are you just kind of like in there for kicks like are you the liverpool owners are you young hungly part two you know what what are you uh there might be another name that mm, is considering it but i don't know um but those are the two um who come to mind right away i don't know if i well i think ross would probably be my preference uh i'm not gonna say that i'll i'll be willing to say that ross would be my preference there uh just i don't know berlusconi there's just something about it that doesn't sit right with me i mean even if you separate the the sportsman there from everything else about berlusconi where uh, where everyone is uh, very aware of that um i he did wonderful things for milan uh saved them in the 80s after a couple of after a really bad start to the 80s with those two relegations and just kind of hovering around there and he comes in and all of a sudden they build that golden age in my opinion the best team in the history of european football those Arigosaki teams. Um, and then just, you know, went about their business to right, the, the Champions League titles after that. But it got to a point where there was so much frustration. And this whole toppling started under him. And it just doesn't sit right with me that he would be seen as a solution to that problem that started under him. What I don't want is for someone to buy the team and then just like sell it again, right? So I don't want, like, if we're going to do this sold, bought by Young Hung Lee, 
default sold again and bought by somebody, I don't want that person to say, all right, now I'm going to sell, right? Like, I don't want to keep doing this. One thing that, and like, the doom and gloom scenario, I I don't want to pay too much attention to because that shit depresses me. That, I think, is the, obviously the nightmare scenario is, you know, stripped, like all of the players are sold, the training ground, the stadium, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but I would like to direct everyone's attention um, that uh, here we go. Napoli was relegated to C in 04, and it's been a long road back for them, but look at where they are now. That the was, story's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, it's insane. And that's because of De Laurentiis. So if, if I mean, if that's what we need, I don't know. So. Obviously, there are no concrete answers here. Uh, we might, you know, we'll th- we'll see what happens. Th- things are going to work out, I believe. But you know, there's going to be that meeting in June, and then we're just going to have to go from there. We're going to have to accept whatever. Um, but you know, in the meantime, I guess we get to start looking forward to seeing some players in the World Cup, which we will go over in our next podcast because right now we are a little under a month away from the world cup but we're a little too far uh to really go into it so on that note uh now that we've gone over all the all the rougher uh things at least we have made the europa league we finished sixth you know not a great season but not a complete disaster as it looked like it was going to be in september So I'm glad we got this podcast back on track and uh, let's do it again soon. Yeah, let's not go away for a while this time. Yeah, we're going to stick around. We we have uh, we have plans for uh, a bunch of things over the summer. Obviously, we have the World Cup. We have the transfer window uh, and apparently constant financial fair play drama. So we are not going anywhere this time. And ICC. Um, Stephen Ross, shout out. Facts. True. Um, So, um. On that note, thank you for listening to The Devil Wears Rossonero, uh, an AC Milan offside podcast. Uh, I'm Patrick Stoll, at Stoll underscore P on Twitter, and uh, Tim Fontenot, at Tim underscore Fontenot on Twitter. And of course, we are SBM Rossonero on Twitter. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one, guys.